Today we want to continue to look at the book of James as James teaches us what it means to be a real Christian, to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. So welcome. I'm glad you've made a decision to join us today. And if you couldn't make it out this morning, maybe you're joining us on Periscope. So everybody turn around and say, hey, what's up, Periscope? Oh, well, that makes people feel good when they watch it. They're like, wow, all those people, they said hi to me. That feels so good, doesn't it? Um, and you can always catch the, the services on Periscope later on as well. But we're working our way through James uh, for the next several weeks as we head to Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost Sunday is May 20th. Uh, we're going to hopefully be baptizing many, many people. If you're interested in baptism as that step of obedience and identification with Christ, then please come and talk to me about baptism. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure that uh, you are prepared and ready for May 20th. But we talked last week about persevering under pressure. Then I also will be doing podcasts during this time until Pentecost so that uh, we can go deeper into the Word of God together. So there's a couple up from this week. There'll be more throughout the weeks leading up to Pentecost again on May 20th. A chance for us to really dig into what James has to say. James is written in the style of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, of the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And James kind of has that style where he takes a look at life and he says, listen, we can't just talk about this. We can't just say things, but it's got to match up with the way that we live, right? It's got to match up with the way that we live because we know that talk is just talk. I love the way the message version puts it. It's just hot air. It's nothing but religious hot air. And how many people know that there's a lot of religious hot air in this world? Anybody know that? Amen. I mean, how many of you are sick of the religious hot air in this world? Amen. Is anybody sick of that? I'm sick of that. That's why I'm here this morning, right? Because I believe that we can't just talk about it, but we need to walk the walk to visible transformation. We believe that this is the year of visible transformation. That God has said, I want to bring transformation that you can see in your life. And then when you can see it, others can see it. But really what I want you to see is me. Jesus says, I want you to see me in everything, everything that you say and do, in who you are, in who other people are. We talk about that so much growing up that we need to see Jesus in everything. But how do we get there? What are the steps we take, right? Because if you want to get somewhere, you got to take a step. <laughs> you got to take a step in that direction. And so today, James is going to guide us into this. He's going to guide us how to be a real Christian. Because we know that a lot of people claim to be Christians. Am I right? And yet, some of those people, when we look at them, we wonder, are they really Christians? Right? When we look at someone's life, we say, is that person really a Christian? Are they representing me and what I believe? Or is that what I should believe? And of course, we know that a lot of people, they talk about um, what their perceptions are of Christians. And I see that something a little crazy is going on with my uh, video up there. So, hallelujah. I switched it to the next one, but it didn't go, huh? Yeah, maybe just refresh it and see if that helps in the back there. We'll give that just a minute. Is it working? Refreshing? No. Oh, I saw it. Ooh, maybe it's there. Yeah, that's it. That's the next one. It's not coming through. All right. Maybe, should I restart it? I got like no contact. They're like behind the glass. Oh, it's like another world back there. I'll stop it and start it. So just try to do the whole thing over, okay? Oh, it says people are watching it. Look at that. <laughs> 
They told me he was watching it. One of these days with this thing, I could send you all an email and you could watch it on your phones or tablets. Like you could just watch it right in front of you. But then you'd be looking at that and not me, so that's a little weird. All right, we'll see if it works, if it comes up. If it doesn't come up, we'll just go on with it. What is that thing you're doing? Isn't that weird, kind of like it comes on and it doesn't? No? No good? No good? All right, we'll just leave it alone. So what we want to do is we want to talk about what James talks about. And uh, to do that, I want to begin by us thinking about how do people perceive Christians? How do people perceive Christians? Have you ever talked to someone who's not a Christian? Have you? Anybody ever talked to someone who's not a Christian? Do they have certain ideas about what Christians are? Right? Do they? And are they necessarily what you think about Christians? Right? Well, there was a book that came out called Unchristian several years ago. And in this book, some people did some research about what people who are outside the church who say, I don't go to church. I'm not Christian. I'm not religious, whatever, what they believe about Christians. And here's what they found people say about Christians. Their top perceptions of Christians are this. One, the Christians are anti-homosexual. That was the number one thing. Judgmental, out of touch with reality, insensitive, hypocritical. Right? That's how people who are outside the church see Christians, right? Now, is that true or not? It may or may not be true, right? You can't generalize every Christian, but that's their perception. And so the question I have when I read something like that is what are we doing? Are we contributing to a misperception of who Jesus is? Are we sometimes more known by what we're against than what we're for? While those things may be true, are those the things that we lead with? Or do we lead with the way that Jesus led with? Because Jesus was not seen that way by people who were on the outside. He was seen as loving, as someone who was for them, as someone who was not against them. Why don't you guys go ahead and shut that down? Because that's going to be way too confusing. So go ahead and just go back to a blank slide on the other thing. And it'll be all good. Thank you. And so what we need to do is we need to understand what it means to be a Christian and how we can maybe change some of those perceptions, right? Because if we don't, then we're in danger of giving people a false impression of who Jesus Christ really is. Well, James gives us some things that should define us as Christians from our text this morning. He says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's how we should be known. Unfortunately, many Christians are not known as quick to listen. We should be known as people who listen well, who listen to other people's stories, especially stories from people who are different from us, stories from people who come from a different background than us. We should be known as those who listen first and listen well and listen for a long time. But we aren't. We should also be known as those who are slow to speak. Christians should be known as the people who really think before they speak, who don't speak until the time is right and God has given them something to say. But unfortunately, we aren't. And Christians should be known as people who are slow to anger. But oftentimes, we are very quick to get angry. And anger is an interesting thing, isn't it? Anger is somewhat of a a challenge because it's like fire. You know how fire can be used for things that are good? But when fire gets out of control, it can be very destructive. And I think the same is true with anger. Anger can be used to motivate and do some good things, but it can easily get out of control and it can do damage to other people. That's why James says that human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So when we come to things like anger, we need to be slow to get angry. 
We need to take a time and a while before we get angry. We need to understand that that's how God is with us. That God says, I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in love. So we need to try to get into that place. But how do we know the difference? How do we know if our anger is going to be useful or if our anger is going to be destructive? How do we know if it's our anger or if it's God's anger in us? Well, we need wisdom. And James talks about wisdom, that if we lack wisdom, we should ask for it from God. That God will give us wisdom. That God will help us to understand if we listen. And when he tells us what to speak, we speak. And we keep a control on our emotions until the time is right for God to release us to what he wants us to be released to. You see, we need to be transformed if we are going to change anything in this world. We need to be transformed in our hearts. And I believe that God wants us to take a look at our hearts this morning. And that's a difficult thing to do, to really look at our hearts, to see how things really are. Because I believe that if God doesn't transform our hearts, then any other transformation is going to be short-lived. Short-lived. Any changes that we try to make in society, if our hearts aren't changed, they're not going to last. Because transformed people transform communities. And transform communities transform our society and even the world. You see, Jesus wants to transform us so that we can be a part of his transformation of the world. But we need to understand that it's both. And we need to remember that hearts need to be changed and that only Jesus Christ can change someone's heart. That's what we need to pray for. This is about keeping it real. Can I be real for this morning? Can I be real? Look up from your phones for a minute. Let me be real this morning. (laughs) That was real right there, wasn't it? That was real right there, wasn't it? We have a problem with racism in this country. Racism is a sin that lives in our hearts, but that also lives in the systems and structures of this world. And so we need to change the way that things are run. We need to change systems and structures. We need laws and regulations. We need incentives. We need mentoring. We need positive action in a positive direction. We need those things in place if we are going to combat the systemic evil of racism in our country. But I know that if God doesn't change my heart, then my participation in it will be short-lived. And it will not accomplish anything. Because I will be inclined to protect what I've always known. As a white man, I will be inclined to protect my power and my privilege at the expense of others if I don't allow God to change my heart. I'm just confessing before you this morning. That's the journey that God has me on. God says, listen, Phil, I want to change your heart. Because when I change your heart, then then you will understand all these changes that need to happen in the world. And God is changing my heart and changing the way I think and changing the way I talk because that's what he wants. He wants to transform us so that we could transform society, so that we could transform the world. And we need to let God speak to our hearts. And I say that to all of my white brothers and sisters. Let God change your heart. Listen to his word. Because you see, we can't just hear about this. We have to do something. And don't get me wrong. It's not about sitting around and just waiting for my heart to change so that I feel better. I'm not talking about that. Because sometimes your heart changes when you actually engage in the work. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? So you can't sit around and wait till you feel like doing it. You have to engage in the work of reconciliation, in the work of love, in the work of building bridges, and then God will change your heart even as you move. We're sitting around waiting for God to change our hearts, but we have to engage in the process. James says it so clearly, and I love it. He says, you can't just hear the word. You got to do the word. Right. And for so long, so many of us Christians, probably in every culture, in every context, we sit and we hear the word and we say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Right. And then we walk out of here and we completely live like whatever with no God in mind, doing whatever we want to do, wherever we want to do it. And James says, that's crazy. You can't do that. If you truly want to follow Christ, you got to When you hear the word, you got to obey the word. He's talking about walking the walk and talking the talk. For James, they're both important. For James, they go hand in hand. It's not about just talking the talk and walking. We got to do both. You got to do both. You have to talk the talk and walk the walk. They go hand in hand. And when those things begin to happen, then we begin to be transformed. I love the way James puts it. It's one of my favorite illustrations uh, from the Bible about what the Bible, God's word, is all about. He says it's like a mirror, right? It's a mirror. That if I look in a mirror and I see how I look, whoa, have mercy. I'm going to flip that around. Whoa, have mercy on me. And if I look at how I look and then I forget about it, I don't change anything. You know, I got something hanging out of my nose, you know. I got something. I mean, there's some things you can't do anything about, right? Amen. <laughs> Some of you got that, right? Some things you can't do anything about, right? But you got to acknowledge who you are. And here's the thing. The Bible, God's word, is a mirror. But too many of us want to use it like a magnifying glass to point out everyone else's problem and everyone else's sin. And we don't use it as a mirror to say, God, what is wrong with me? What needs to be changed in my life, God? Would you let me see who I really am? Oh my God, why are we so afraid to see who we really are? Because we're afraid that if you know who I really am, you might not like me or love me. And it's all that I got. And with God, it's the same way. We say, if God really knows who I am, he won't love me. He won't accept me. God says, no, no, no. Because not only when you do you look into the word of God, Do you see what's wrong with yourself? You also see that God loves you. And that God cares for you. And that he is making you beautiful. You see yourself as you really are. Because you see yourself the way God sees you. And God helps you to become the person that he wants you to be. So it's not just a reflection, but it's a vision that becomes a reflection that gives you power. And then... And then, so you say, but pastor, how do we change the world? How do we change what's wrong in this society? Then I believe that after I've sat for a while and let the word of God speak to me, then what I do is I don't put a magnifying glass on someone else. I simply hold up a mirror to the world and say, what do you see? Because God will show you who you, what do you see? Who are you? What is in your heart? Right? Capital One says, what is in your wallet? God says, what is in your heart? God says, what is in your heart? Come on, you get it for that. What's in your heart? What's in the world wants to say, what's in your wallet? My kids want to say, what's in your wallet? Amen. Can I get an amen? People around me want to say, what's in your wallet, daddy? But God says, what's in your heart? 
What's in your heart as a father, as a husband, as a man? Amen. You know, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? And then that's what prophecy is. That's what being prophetic is. Where we simply have spent enough time with the truth of God that we simply invite people to look into the truth themselves. And they not only find the truth, they find love. Isn't that not right? Is that not right? Don't you find love? Don't you find someone who loves you? Not someone who's against you. Not someone who's mean. Not someone who's just out to try to, you know, tell you what to do. But God is someone who loves you and says, listen, everything you need to get rid of, you need to get rid of because it's bad for you. It's not going to help you. That's why I love the image of a garden. Isn't that great? I love the way James puts it. He says, let God garden the landscape of your heart, right? Let him take care of your heart. Accept the word that is planted inside of you, right? God plants his word in our heart and it wants to grow. But God, we can't have no weeds in the garden. You know what I'm talking about? No weeds in the garden because they choke out the plants. And God just wants us to take out all those weeds, all those thorns, those vines. You know, who had those stupid vines with the thorns on them that I try to pull out and they just keep coming back. You know, and animals come in and birds come in. There's a lot of things that come against the garden. God, the, God says, your heart is like a garden. Let God work with you to cultivate it, to landscape it, to get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of. And it's a partnership, friends, with God. It's a partnership. God does the work in our lives. And let me tell you this. He'll do the heavy lifting. But we need to engage him in the process. Remember? We need to engage a partner with God. So that hand in hand, God says, listen, I'm not just going to do it for you. But I'm going to give you the strength so that you can do it with me. So that you begin to pull the weeds out of your heart. You begin to pull out those things. I love the way the message puts it. Spoiled virtue. And cancerous evil. You got to get rid of that. Got to get rid of that. It's what we talk about when we talk about sin, right? We talk about sin. And the old church, the ancient church, had a way of talking about sin. They said there are seven deadly sins. And they believed that these sins were the things that just led to all of the evil in the world. But they had another viewpoint. They felt that these seven deadly sins were really just the flip side or the perverted. You know what perverted means? It means twisted. It means twisted into the purpose that it's not intended for. That's what perverted means. That really there are impulses within us that could lead us to God or lead us to destruction. And so when they talked about the seven deadly sins, they said, listen, these are corruptions. These are perversions. These are things that will bring us death. Even though originally, if we get rid of it, we can discover in the same vein something that can bring us life. So let's spend a few moments in there, shall we? Let's do this mirror check. On our lives this morning. So even as I speak to you, remember in your mind that I'm speaking to myself. I'm looking at the mirror and I'm just inviting you in and, and, and into the way that I look at the mirror of my life. And inviting you to do the same thing. The first seven of the seven deadly sins on this list I have is lust. Lust is, the, is that uncontrolled sexual desire that just wants to satisfy myself at the expense of others. Instead of having a desire for true intimacy... And love between a man and a woman and cultivating that relationship. It's been twisted and perverted into something that brings us death. The second deadly sin they said was gluttony. You know, eating is a natural basic impulse that we all have. But instead of eating to be alive and to be healthy, we overeat or we use food to control. Or we become some kind of addiction. Somehow it gets twisted up and it becomes something that's deadly. The third one is greed. 
Instead of being content with what we have, instead of using what we have to bless and to multiply and provide for others, we hoard what we have, we constantly want more, we're afraid we'll never have enough, and we hold it all while other people are starving and dying because of the greed that lives in our hearts. Number four is sloth. I'm not talking about the animal that hangs upside down. Talking about being lazy. Instead of truly resting and relaxing, which is a good impulse, we let it slip into laziness. We let it slip into not wanting to work, not wanting to do anything. And it becomes a deadly sin in our life. Wrath, we talked about. Wrath is the word they use for anger. We talked about that a little bit. But I love what the Italian poet Dante said. He said that wrath is the love of justice perverted into revenge. The love of justice Justice perverted into just wanting to get revenge, just wanting to hurt someone else. Not really about bringing true justice. Envy. You know what the old word for envy meant? It meant sadness at the success of others. And we know that that happens, right? Instead of rejoicing with other people, instead of having a relationship where if someone else succeeds, I can rejoice in that, we're upset. We turn it around and make it all about us, and we're like, I didn't get enough likes on my posts. I didn't get enough people viewing my video. And this person over here, she got 100 people viewing her video, and she got 10,000 likes. And just because she's Alyssa Watson, why did she get that? <laughs> Hallelujah. And that envy comes in my heart. That envy, and that you know how deadly that is when we constantly compare ourselves to other people. When we're not content with who God has made us to be. And the last one is pride. Instead of having a healthy confidence in ourselves, a healthy self-esteem, instead of truly loving ourselves, we've let it go too far and we make ourselves an idol. Right? And we, and we make it all about us and we begin to put other people down. To make us feel better. And unless you think this morning that I'm talking about somebody else. Because there's always the danger that someone is sitting here saying, oh yeah, I came to Jesus. He forgave my sins. I understand. I don't really have a lot of sin in my life. I'm good. I'm good. I'm pretty good. Let me remind you of the last sin, pride. Let me just take you right back there. (laughs) So the minute you think you don't have any work to do. God says, oh, there's that pride again. (laughs) Why don't we just go back and deal with that for a minute? And and James is telling us, get rid of all of that spoiled virtue. Isn't that a great definition of sin? Spoiled virtue. And it's cancerous. How do we think we can live with these things in our life? How do we think? We think we can have them in our garden and grow anything? No, they need to be removed. And it's not something that's mean. It's not that God's against us. But he's like, why would I let you live that way? And so many people are like, oh God, he's like against me. God wants to take these things away from me. What he wants to take away from you is filth and pollution and disease and things that are going to bring death to you. How can you breathe polluted air? You can't. In the cities with the most amount of pollution, they put that mask over their face, right? Because you can't breathe that polluted air and live. How can you drink water that is unclean, that is contaminated? How can you continue to drink that and live? How can you eat food that is moldy, the food that's growing hair, food that's got strange colored things around it, right? How can you eat that and live? And yet people think that they don't have to deal with the sin 
in their life. You got to get it out. You got to get it out or you're going to die. I always like this image of like a glass. Like you got a glass and it's dirty and it's crusty and you need to scrub it, right? But we're lazy. We're like, I don't want to scrub it. I don't want to clean that glass. So we just keep using other glasses until we run out. Wait, am I the only one that does that? All right. All right. I say that you got like 25. I mean, seriously, in our house, we have 50 dirty glasses. I'm like, we got four people and we got 50 dirty glasses. What is going on here? Nobody wants to clean it out, right? Because it's work. It takes work to get stuff out of our life. But here's what I tell you. It's not about just trying to get rid of things. It's about releasing the good that's in you. Because once those good things start to grow, they push out the bad. And so if you took a dirty cup, had dirty water, right? And you put it under a faucet of clean water, what would happen? It would begin to clean itself out. Now it won't be completely clean. You're still going to need to do some scrubbings. But, it, but it's easier to scrub it, right? After it's been soaked in water. So friends, if you want to get rid of the sin in your life, then just start pouring good things into your life. Start feeding on the word of God. Start drinking living water. Let the living water of God flow into you. And then it'll be easier to scrub out what's wrong. And then it'll clean out what's wrong in your life. Start doing good things. Start doing good things. You guys know this. Some of you, some of you guys, you know this. You women, you know this. You're trying to get rid of something, something really hard like an addiction. It's like a thorn, a vine of thorns in your life, right? And you keep trying to pull it out. But you know, it's not just about pulling it out, but it's about doing good things. It's not just about cleaning out your mind. It's about filling your mind with good things. It's not just about cleaning out your body. It's about filling your body with good things, right? You have to do positive things in your life. If you want to move in a positive direction, you have to put the good in. So it's not just getting rid of lust and gluttony and greed and sloth and wrath and envy and pride. It's about pursuing true love, Amen. you know, and moderation and caring for others and diligence in your work. You know, it's about patience. It's about thinking the best of others. It's about true humility. Those are the things that you build in your life because they will push out everything that shouldn't be there. So what does God tell us? I believe that God is telling us this very simple one point this morning that if we want to be truly Christians and allow God to transform us in a visible way, then we need to take care of our heart. And we take care of our heart by working with God to get rid of the things that we need to get rid of and to plant the things that need to be planted. He says one more thing that I want to encourage us with as we head towards communion this morning where we will remember the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and and, and act that his presence fills us and feeds us with all goodness and truth and love. The second thing he says is that we should take care of other people. Take care of your heart and take care of others. That's the message of this section of James this morning. Take care of your heart and take care of others. He says, listen, people can talk a good talk, but real religion is this. In the NIV it says, look after widows and orphans in their distress. I love how the message puts it. Look after those who are homeless and loveless. Those who've suffered loss. You need to help people in their distress. We need to take care of people, right? Because we know that we're all going to lose somebody at some point. We're all going to go through a difficult time. And if someone's in distress, we need to help them. Because that's what real religion is. It's taking care of ourselves. Don't be polluted by the world. That's what he said. And taking care of others. Helping them to grow and to flourish. And taking care of them, right? Amen? And that's what we should do. And you know what's hard? Let's, let's get real again for a moment, right? 
Because you know you help people and then sometimes you keep helping them and then at some point you say, am I really helping them or am I just enabling them? Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? It's like, is this person really in distress or is this just another time they're calling me, right? And if I don't know, then I don't know. You just help that person. If someone needs to eat, give them food. If someone's thirsty, give them a drink of water. If someone needs a ride, give them a ride. You don't know. But if you know that they need something more, then I don't stop helping, but I shift the way that I help. And instead of just responding to that immediate cry, I try to help them get access to resources or pray for them or encourage them or mentor them or develop them so that my help shifts into something that builds them up. That helps them take care of their own garden. I'm not just coming over to grab your weeds out every time you call. But I'm saying, hey, God is right here with you to help you begin to take care of the garden of your life. And then get this, eventually, as God is taking care of the garden of your life, things are going to grow. And you're going to be like, I have things to share with other people. That's an amazing place that many of you are going to get to. Many of you that are just living now thinking, I need help, I need help, I need help. God is wanting to bring you to a whole new place in his timing where God, you're like, wow, my life is getting better. I'm taking care of myself and God is taking care of me and now I can take care of others. But you got to get rid of that filth. You got to get rid of that sin. And you got to put in what's good. And you got to put in what's right. I want to close with what I think is the best real life example of what I've seen in this. And that's uh, Jen Smith, who goes to this church. Many of you know her as Tia. Jen Smith is someone that is a widow. And believe me, and I know it's funny, not funny, but there's a lot of people in church who are like, I'm a widow, you need to come help me. I'm a widow, you need to take care of me. Like they just kind of twist that whole thing. Jen doesn't do that. She lost her husband several years ago, and she went through a grieving process. She's still grieving probably. We all grieve the loss of those that we love the most. And it was difficult. She was one of those that suffered loss in her life. And she was working through that process. But she came to me and she said, Pastor Phil, I want to re-engage with these, these mission ministry trips. And from that point when her husband passed away until this day, she has gone with me on every single trip to Mexico and every single trip to El Salvador. Because she knew that it was a matter of continuing to move, continuing to go forward. Now, does she have needs? Yes. If Jen Smith, and she's not in here, right? She's like working. Okay, I can say this. If Jen Smith needs help, we should all be there in an instant. Because that's real religion. That's what it's really about. But she also gives herself to help others. And in places like Mexico and El Salvador, I've seen her minister to other widows. And I've seen her minister to the orphans. And I've seen her minister to those who are homeless. And I've seen her minister to those who are loveless. Working through with God's help her own pain, her own journey, her own difficulty. She lets God landscape the garden of her heart. Even as she continues to take care of herself with God's help and to take care of others. And I say today, Tia, whenever you're listening to this later on, I say to us at Hartford City Church, May her tribe increase. Amen. May her tribe increase. You know, the hurt people hurt people. But healed people heal people.
And here's what I want to say this morning. Transformed people transform others and the world around them. Amen. Let's pray.